0: Yes, Father God, we do thank you for your living, active word that Nathan will share with us this morning. We trust your Holy Spirit, and right now you are working in the hearts and the lives of each one of us, Lord. And we trust you with this word, Father. Use Nathan, Father, in your way. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Can I give you your bookie? Um, <clears throat> We were actually reading this morning with uh, Ruth and Elizabeth the story of Rachel and Leah, and uh, just as Bates was sharing that story, I was thinking about Leah, you know, the one that nobody wanted in a way, and Jacob's saying, no, I didn't ask for this one, I asked for Rachel, and um, you see her kind of feeling like cast out, and yet the Lord uses her as the lion, um, of his people. So I just want to encourage you, if you did feel like God spoke to you in that word, um, spend some time reading the story about Leah and seeing the way that God often chooses uh, people that the world seems to cast off. So this morning, um, we, we're going into part seven of our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's entitled his care, his kingdom, his righteousness. Um, you can see Devin is human, because I asked him to change it, but he couldn't. Um, so he is human, in fact. Um, so his care, his kingdom, his righteousness, and uh, it's part seven of our, of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, Riley took us through the Lord's Prayer, and this profound moment of, of Jesus drawing us back to prayer and what prayer looks like. And before that, uh, Johannes preached through two sections, which actually kind of surround the Lord's Prayer, on giving to the needy and fasting And uh, in our text this morning, we see Jesus turn to the topic of money and possessions. He's looking at his disciples. He's speaking to his disciples, and he wants to talk about money and possessions. And uh, he actually talks about money being a type of master, and the this type of master which breeds anxiety in our lives. So Jesus is saying and talking about how we, as agents of the kingdom and disciples of Jesus, how we should relate to money and possessions. And then he closes to kind of redirect us and show us where our focus should actually be. So we're going to be in Matthew 6, uh, verse 19 to 34. Um, And we're going to read the full section. It's quite long, but I just want us to see a glimpse of, of the flow of what Jesus was saying there. So from verse 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not food and the body more than clothing? It's like adding some emphasis here. Um, where do I stand? Not there. <laughs> Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you that you love your people, you love your word, and you want to speak to us, Father God. And I I pray that we would come open-handed, soft-hearted, submit ourselves to what you're wanting to say to us this morning. Father, may you break the power of anxiety in people's lives this morning and redirect us towards a concern for your kingdom. Amen. So, obviously, there's a lot here, and uh, the, in a way, the first portion, verse 19 to 24, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, so I want to encourage you to read it um, yourself. But in a sense, it's, it's giving us the, the kind of context that Jesus wants to use as He goes into verse 25 and what He's wanting to speak to His disciples. And in a way, it's like Jesus giving us a read on the culture around Him. It becomes, in a way, a type of platform or a backdrop for what Jesus goes on to say in verse 25 to 34. He's looking around at his disciples and and he's saying, like, you're living like your treasure is on earth. Or you're living a little bit like money is your master. And he's saying to them, it should not be so. Any treasure that you store up on earth will one day rust and fade. And your hard work that you thought was so important will actually be Meaningless. Or you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve uh, money and God. Either you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. The civil war that you have within you between money and God will one day consume you. Jesus is saying if you're not divided between these two things, but if you have a singular focus and a singular devotion, you will store up treasure in heaven which will never fade and which will last forever. And it's fascinating to see that Jesus, as he's done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, if, you, if you're if reading the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about external works. It's more about the, the disposition of your heart. It's about a true righteousness, the righteousness of the heart. And you see in Matthew six twenty one, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not just about these outward things that you do with your money. It's about where your heart is. So Jesus calls us to a true righteousness here. And again, we're kind of glancing through these passages, so I really do want to encourage you to study it on your own. But uh, essentially, Jesus is going at his disciples' relationship to money and possessions. That's what he has in his mind. How are they relating to money and possessions? And then he transitions in verse 25 using the word, therefore. So he lays up this kind of backdrop and context around money and possessions and how they're dealing with it and how they should be dealing with it. And then in verse 25, he transitions with, therefore with this context in mind, you know, with Jesus' read on the culture in mind, with this ex- exhortation towards a singular devotion. Don't be kind of double-minded. Have a singular devotion towards God. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And Jesus, in fact, in the next kind of section, he, he mentions anxiety five times. So clearly Jesus has something that he wants to say to us, and something he wanted to say to his disciples then about anxiety. And one of the kind of key start of points is that a pursuit of greed breeds anxiety. If you pursue money in your life with all your might, the true fruit of that greed is going to be anxiety. You're going to be constantly struggling with an anxious spirit. And uh, it's interesting, as as Jesus looks out to his disciples, it's not like he, you know, in his mind he's thinking, you know, one day there will be this thing called anxiety. You know, you don't really know what it is, but at some point you're going to struggle with it and, like, don't do it. Actually, Jesus is looking out at the people around him and saying, I can see there's an anxious spirit within you. Stop having that spirit. Like, don't be anxious. I can see the spirit in you. I know the culture around you. I know the anxieties that you face. Do not be anxious about these things. And Jesus, as a read of the culture around him then, like how much more so true is that of us today? We live in a society, in fact, where um, the scholars call it the age of anxiety, the age of anxiety. And anxiety is a, is a massive problem in our culture. And um, even as I say that, you know, if someone came up to you and said, you know, anxiety is quite, quite a big issue in the world today. So you wouldn't be like, really? I did not know. You know, I thought it was something else. I thought we faced it something else. But actually, in our culture today, anxiety is a massive, massive issue. And I'm sure, as I stand here this morning, that many of us in the room have faced anxiety like I have. Even this year, the way I've faced anxiety, which at times can be completely debilitating, An anxiety which can be completely debilitating. R. Kent Hughes says that anxiety is the universal disease of our age. We face the fears of war, you know, in Israel and Palestine now, Russia and Korea, or many African countries, you know, who have been in war and just haven't really seen the headlines. We face pandemics, floods, droughts. We face load shedding, uh, government corruption, an unstable economy. The truth is that few people in the world today will escape having to deal with anxiety in their lives. And we see Jesus in Matthew 6, although he's speaking specifically to material anxiety, the solutions that he brings will help us in all the anxieties that we face today. And I find it so (laughs) encouraging that Jesus knows this is what we'll face as believers. It, it's not like Jesus is pointing at the disciples there and saying, you know, I think I, I think I smell some anxiety on you. You know, like you, you can't be one of mine. I think, I mean, he smells a little bit better. He smells a little bit like anxiety. He can't be one of mine. Jesus is actually saying, you're my disciples. I know what you face. I know you struggle with anxiety. You don't have to carry it alone. And in fact, there's another path that you can take. So as we read Jesus' words here, if you're struggling with anxiety this morning, even as like I did this week, you know, preaching about don't be anxious makes you quite anxious, um, I really want to encourage you to, to lean in and to, and to let the words of Jesus, as he calls us not to be anxious and then kind of shows us how to do that, to let those wash over the anxieties that you face. So let's read again from verse, from verse 25. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So we see, I just want to highlight three key things that we see in this text. And it's very simple. The first one is know, Jesus is calling us to know our Father, to know our Father. Secondly, he's calling us to trust our Father. And thirdly, He's calling us to pursue our Father's kingdom. So firstly, to to know our Father. And and the first aspect of what Jesus is calling us to know about our Father is that God is the King of life. That God is the King of life. And we see Jesus, there was a a kind of Jewish argument strategy, which is called the lesser to the greater. So they'll hold up something lesser and then show the something greater. Um, And uh, Jesus uses this argument strategy, and He uses two examples in the world around Him. And uh, the two examples are that the king feeds the birds. Like, God is the king of the life, and the king feeds the birds. And the second one is that the king clothes the flowers. And when you think of the, the, the kind of, the culture in the day, Israelite people would have been very familiar with these two things. They wouldn't have been, like, strange to them. I mean, birds, it's actually fascinating that Israel, all of the birds in Europe, from east to west, they migrate through Israel. There are over 500 million birds migrating through Israel twice a year and 550 different species of birds migrating through Israel. Israel is one of the busiest migration highways in the world for birds. So people of Israel knew a lot about birds. You know, <laughs> it's, Even today, you know, the flight patterns of airplanes in Israel are is largely governed by birds. They had to study the, the flight patterns of birds and the migration patterns of birds very carefully for planes to fly there. So Israel, Israelite people knew a lot about birds as Jesus spoke. And flowers, it's actually highly likely that as Jesus was, was preaching this sermon, they would have been sitting in a field of lilies. They would have been sitting in a field with, with flowers around them. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus says, you know, it's kind of like clothing a flower. And they think, Yo, I was at Woolworths the one time, and they had flowers on display. I think I kind of know what a flower is. They would have been sitting with flowers around them. And Jesus is saying, look, you know, you worry about food and drink. Look at the way that I provide for the birds. 500 million birds flying through there twice a year. I provide for all those birds. Jesus says, look, you worry about clothing, look at the flowers that are clothed around you. What Jesus is saying is that God is the king of life. All creation is sustained by him. Uh, Look at Psalm 104, I've just pulled out a few verses here. Verse 14, you, talking about God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine to gladden the hearts of men. Everyone says, amen. amen. And oil to make his face shine. I should have tried that this morning. And bread to strengthen the man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, in them the birds build their nests, and stork has a home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and suns and sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. O Lord, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then verse 31, may the the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. And the truth is this, that every living creature that woke up this morning woke up because God ordained them to. All the flowers in the world which opened to the sun this morning opened with the call of God. So Jesus is not speaking like hypothetically. He's not trying to say like, you know, it's kind of as if God did this. He's saying, no, no, look around you. God feeds the birds. God clothes the flowers. There's a pair of owls uh, quite close to our house in a big pine tree, and they have babies every year. They're flying, they have babies, and the other day we were walking past them, and I was just thinking, you know, who sustains these owls? You know, how do they feed their babies every single day? God provides for them. But it's important for us to know in just understanding Jesus' application that birds don't sit on their hands. because okay, They don't have hands, but they don't sit on their hands even if they could. In fact, birds are one of the hardest-working animals in the world. Birds are one of the hardest-working animals. So Jesus is not calling us to a kind of passivity here. You know, sit on your hands, I'll provide for you. He's calling us to a new understanding of who sustains us. That in fact, birds work hard, but they are sustained by the food that God provides. And I want to like, challenge us this morning. Like, like, take a moment, even this week, just to sit and watch birds. Like, let Just sit and watch birds. There was a, I can't remember his name, but uh, a theologian who was quite into bird watching, and he was like, no, there's a biblical basis for bird watching. Like, God has told me I should bird watch because the birds have something to teach me. And a Luther, Martin Luther says this about flowers, and it's the same of birds. He says, it seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and become our teachers. Thank you, flowers, you who are to be devoured by cows. God has exalted you very highly that you may become our masters or teachers. Elizabeth Cheney says this, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know Why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. So I want to encourage us to look to the flowers, look to the birds. God has something significant he wants to teach us through them. So Jesus essentially is saying, why are you anxious? Like, Don't be anxious. Look at the world around you. God is the king of life. And Jesus moves then from the lesser to the greater argument. He's using the birds and the flowers as the, as the letter in this, lesser in this structure, and we're the greater. And, and essentially he's saying this, the birds demonstrate God's care for lower creation. So we who are much higher, how much more can we be assured of God's care? Look at Jesus' words in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The truth is that the the, the Father's care for us is, is far more than the robin and the sparrow. But I think oftentimes we don't live in that truth, and we don't acknowledge that care. The truth is that we don't need to fret about the essentials of life, that our Father loves us far more than the birds that he feeds, and far more than the flowers that he continues to clothe. So what essentially is Jesus saying? He's saying not, not only is God the king of life, you know, who sustains it day by day, but we are the king's children. We are the king's children. Matthew six thirty-one to 32, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So we don't need to fret about the essentials of life like Jesus is saying, like the the Gentiles do. Like as if we're still orphans, you know? As if we haven't been adopted into the family of God and have a heavenly Father who cares for us. And I think as we come to this text, and I know for me, as I've kind of ran into it a few times, you you think, like, it can't be that simple. You're like, this is far too radical, what Jesus is saying. Far too radical. Like, we we have a tendency here to think, really, Jesus? Like, I mean, birds. I get it. I understand birds. But uh, me in 2023, you know, as Paul said, school fees, you know, do do you guys know how much Little Oaks is there? Barbara, how much she charges? Taxes cars breaking down, like, really, Jesus? I think this seems a little bit naive. And I think there's a, a tendency in us not to say it out loud, but I think that we often live in that way. We read this text and we think, you know, well, actually, no, I don't, I don't quite think that applies to my life. We don't think God knows the complexities of our lives. We don't think that He cares about them, and we don't think that He will provide for them. And I was really challenged this week and and in the week before as I was prepping, is like, what is Jesus' response? How does Jesus respond? He doesn't think, he doesn't say, yeah, well, you know, what I really meant was this. You know, like this is actually what I meant and how it should apply to your life. He says, no, your father knows that you need them more. He knows the complexities of your life. He loves you. He'll provide for you. Trust in him. And I want to just take a moment to address one of the other things which I feel like, uh, makes, a in a way, a stumbling block for us to engage in this. And it's the idea of poverty, you know, poverty in the world. Like, what about poverty in the world? Like, don't some of God's children face severe poverty? And we can say, look, Father, look at our own country. Look at the poverty that people face. Don't you care for them too? And, again, we can spend a preach on this, a series of preachers on addressing this issue, but I just want to share a few thoughts. And before we do that, we need to know the seriousness of coming in and dealing with some some of these kinds of issues. There, There needs to be a seriousness in the way that we deal with them. On the one hand, we don't come blasé to something like this, you know, with someone who's struggling with, like, what does this actually mean for the poor? How does this apply for the poor? Is God really caring for them? And I think especially in our own culture, in our own church, as we don't live like that, You know, we have wealth, so we can't come blasé, but at the same time, we cannot come and lift our experiences over and above the Word of God and say, look, this can't be true because if I look around me, it doesn't really look like it. So I'm going to now say that, you know, God's Word isn't true because my experience tells me to. That's a bad way of interpreting God's Word. The truth is that our experiences always need to submit to the Word of God. Every single time. Our experiences need to submit to the Word of God. So three um, quick things here. The first one is that God promises to provide all that we need, not all that we think we need. God promises to provide all that we need, not all that we think we need. And if you look at the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, you see this is true of his life. Like Paul himself in Philippians describes how he, he faced many tough things, including hunger, including hunger. And yet God gave him all that he truly needed, all that the Father knew he needed. Philippians 411 to 13, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ. Uh, Through him who strengthens me. And look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul faces hunger. He faces being brought low. Yet he says God will provide everything that I need, everything that the Philippian church will need, and in turn, everything that we will need. So, firstly, God promises to provide all that we need, not all that we think we need. Secondly, God's promise of provision is for His children only. God's promise of provision is for His children only. Jesus is not saying there will be no poverty in the world. In fact, elsewhere He tells us that the poor will, in fact, always be with us. Yet He promises that His his children, that believers will be provided for in a way which makes God's purpose for their life possible. For the period of time that he wants it to happen. They'll be provided for all they need for the purpose that God has for their life, for the time that he has ordained. Thirdly, I, I want to encourage you with this this morning. God is not calling you this morning to judge what his provision should be in another person's life and then to decide whether they are okay with that or not. I think often that's the way we come to this text. We think, well, are they fine with this text? So then I can't really take anything from it until I understand if they're fine with it. God is not calling you this morning to judge what his provision should be in another person's life and whether or not they are okay with that. He is not calling you to have faith for someone else's provision. Like, don't miss the moment of this morning because you're struggling to have faith for someone else's provision. God is calling you to new levels of faith for his provision in your life lean into what he was what he is saying to you and trust that he is doing the same for others so jesus uh, speaking to his disciples he's calling them to a greater level of faith to take the truth and to trust it so jesus responds after kind of showing them a picture of their father he says oh you of little faith why are you anxious know your father he's the king of life you're his children And trust in him. Matthew 6, verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Jesus' rebuke of the disciples is true of us too this morning. Where is your faith? Like, why are you anxious? Don't you know your Father? Don't you know his care? Don't you trust his care? Charles Spurgeon says, little faith is not a little fault because it fundamentally denies the goodness of God. Little faith is not a little fault because it fundamentally denies the goodness of God. It's essentially this, are we facing life like a, like a child of God or, or do we think we're still kind of like an orphan which has to fend for themselves? And I want to te- like just challenge us here. Like if we have the same worry over material things, as what non-believers do then it's a shame to us it's a shame to us because we're children of the king who promises to provide for us but God is so gracious even in our unbelief and we need to respond this morning father we believe we believe that you care we believe that you provide help us in our unbelief and God graciously will So know our Father, trust our Father, and lastly pursue our Father's kingdom. And Jesus turns in a way to the positive here, saying your focus should not be there on material things, your focus should be somewhere else. And Jesus, as he has done throughout the sermon, is calling us from a kind of a dividedness to a single devotion. Don't be double minded. You can't serve God and money focus your lives on the kingdom of the king, Matthew six thirty three to 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And we saw earlier in verse 25, Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, don't be consumed with, with kind of the natural things around you that you lose sight of the spiritual. You lose sight of the deeper thing that I'm calling you to. Life is about more than just material things. The kingdom of God is at hand. Have an eternal perspective. Don't minimize life just to these physical things around you, or clothing, food, and drink. Focus instead on the spiritual, on the kingdom of God, and God will provide the natural. Jesus says, pursue my kingdom and I will provide all that you need. And the truth is that this kind of way of living that he's calling his disciples to frees us from the disease of anxiety. Because our focus is shifted. Our focus is on something else. It's on our father's business. And this was the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus himself said, I do only what the Father tells me to do. And when you look at the life of Jesus, do you think, do you see like a kind of like a, a man strangled by anxiety? Or do you see a man who was free, you know, free to live in what God had called him to? And, and the, the fact is that Jesus himself actually had many faithful moments where he prayed to God for his, his material needs, for food. All the while, his focus was on the spiritual. So we as disciples of Jesus are to be those who are dedicated to God's coming reign, and we are to have a kind of Christ-centered righteousness which marks the kingdom. So in the the kind of context of this passage, the, the statement by Jesus of seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness serves as a concluding encouragement in the way that we should deal with money and possessions. And the final solution to this kind of anxiety about money problem that we have is, in fact, to set one's heart on something else, to set one's heart on God's way of being in the world. And the reality is that as we do that, there's a promise that all of our needs will be truly met. So the solution to anxiety uh, from Jesus is not the simplistic, like, stop worrying. I like you're struggling with it, just stop it. You know, that's going to help you. Just stop it. But it's actually a redirecting of our vision and the disposition of our hearts towards something else. And as we do that, it's accompanied. Tied to it is the promise of provision. It's this idea of, of repentance, which Ollie unpacked so beautifully for us in the first uh, preach. It's, it's a redirection of one's life. Toward the kingdom of our Father. Like you want to have peace in your life, seek the kingdom of God with all your might. And your Father, who graciously loves you, will provide all that you need. Replace your worry with a dedicated concern for the kingdom. And I want to just briefly speak to anxious people in the room. You know, you can actually think, like, geez, you're calling me to this? It seems so huge. You know, on my anxiety inducing to do list, I have to now add this thing. And I'm already overwhelmed as it is, and now you're wanting me to do this. And that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not like, okay, well, you're doing those things, now add this on top of that. Jesus is calling us to a complete redirection of our priorities in our life towards something else, which frees us from these things that bind us. It's a singular devotion. And it's fascinating because Jesus, who is the king, is calling us to pursue his kingdom before he himself. Would pursue his kingdom. A kingdom which he proclaimed in, in Matthew four twenty three about the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he came to declare, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus was about. In fact, Jesus was so interested in the kingdom that he pursued the kingdom to the point of death, death upon a cross, and in dying defeated the enemy who was against him Satan. And in dying, was enthroned as king. So Jesus says, be about the things of my father, for that is my pursuit. And in that time, remember, he's speaking to to the disciples before he went to the cross. So in a way, it's it's, it's like, you don't know yet, but I will pursue this to the point of death. What I'm calling you to here to, I'm going to pursue it to the point of death. Soon you will see what the kingdom is about. Soon you will see my Father's love on display. To the ex- you, soon you will see the extent of my Father's care, Jesus says. Oh, you of little faith, are you not more valuable than them? For it is for you that I'll give my life. You want to know your value. Look at the cross. Look at Romans eight thirty-one to 32. It says, what then shall... He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Like you want to know your value to the Father and how much He cares about you. Look at the cross. That's the greatest display of God's love for His children and it's the decisive moment in the war between God and Satan. The truth is that the King is on The throne, know his care, trust in his care, and pursue his kingdom.